Uh, but today we're continuing where we left off last week. Um, and uh, last week we, were, we started talking about uh, what happened after Easter. You know, Easter's huge. It's big. You know, we, we, every year churches spend weeks building up to Easter, right? And, and there's huge productions and there's media blitzes and there's thousands of eggs and there's all this stuff. And, you know, even, even sometimes it's referred to as the Super Bowl of the church, which kind of tacky a little bit. It's maybe not the best comparison, but you get the point. It's like, it's big, it's huge. And it's a big deal. And rightfully so, because it is the, I mean, just the culmination of a lot of, um, of things leading up to that moment. Um, but you know, we tend to think of Easter as that, it's just that a culmination, but really it's more than that. Really, it's more than a culmination. It's more of a transition. Um, it's a turning point. And so, you know, Jesus' death and resurrection was necessary to, to buy back what Adam and Eve traded in the garden, right? We all, we all get that. You know, we all realize what brought us to Easter, what brought us to that point. And uh, you've heard it, the saying, they sold their soul to the devil. Well, that's basically what, what they did. And every human born since has been born with that sinful nature. We just, it's, it's just, you know, it's just how we start. And uh, after he rose from the dead, Jesus told the disciples, though, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That's when he took his sacrifice, reversed that transition. That's when he took that authority back that had been sold, that had been given away in the garden. And so that's what we celebrate at Easter. You know, Jesus is a sinful life, a sinless life. Let me get that right. Jesus' sinless life, death, burial, and resurrection made salvation possible. And we are so grateful for that. Uh, but, you know, real, we have to realize that it's the work of the Holy Spirit that brings us to repentance. He makes us aware of our need for a Savior. Because, honestly, if you think about it, if it's possible and it's there, but we're not aware of it, then... Are we really going to benefit from it? No, because we have to be made aware of our need for it. And so that's what the Holy Spirit does. He makes us aware of our need of a Savior. And he makes us aware that Jesus paid that price. And he makes us aware and he opens our hearts to the saving grace of Christ. So we can say that the Spirit is the application of Christ's accomplishment on the cross. Right? We are saved in Christ by the Spirit. That's how all that fits together. It's just a, and it's God's plan. So it's like a threefold thing. It's that whole Godhead. You know, God had this plan. He had this, this way. And then Jesus was the, 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 the accomplice. He paid the price. And then the spirit is the application of that and how it all comes together for us to be saved in Christ by the spirit through God's perfect plan. And if that, if that's all there was to it, that would be plenty, right? That would be plenty. But wait. In the words of the famous infomercial, there's more, right? You've heard those. But wait, there's more. Never mind. Okay. You guys don't watch infomercials. Uh, but no, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, it says, He put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, as a guarantee. He put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit. A deposit. What, what, what is a deposit? It's not, I mean, how many of you have actually ever placed something on layaway? Ever placed something on layaway? I'm, I'm aging myself here. Uh, 
you, you go for, for the young ones in the room like, like you go and you want to buy something, but you don't have the money, all the money at the time. And uh, maybe you don't have credit cards. You don't want to put it on your credit card or whatever you go and you put it on layaway. They hold it in a bin, plastic bin. Here's the item. Boom. You pay a down payment, a deposit, and you go back and you pay more and you pay more. And when you finally pay it all, you get the item. Nowadays, we're like, no, just give it to me and, you know, run my credit card. And then I'll just keep that debt later forever. But, uh, no, no, you say this is a down payment and I'm coming back with more later, right? And of course, I have a question. How many of y'all never went back and got your item? It's still sitting in the bin at Walmart, that little plastic somewhere in the back. You know, you've got something on layaway from 1993. I, probably some of y'all still do. No, but we, re- we receive a deposit of the Holy Spirit at salvation. It's a guarantee. And it's in us. You know, he's in us. And it's this deposit. You know, I can take a cup of Gatorade. And I can drink it. And I've got it in me, right? Well, what happens if I'm the coach and my team wins? They dump the whole bucket on my head, right? And I basically get baptized in Gatorade. You've seen this on, on you know, watching sports or whatever. And, um, and so, you know, before Jesus left the earth, he promised... His disciples, there was more. He promised there was more. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4 through 8, we read, Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, Has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. And they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. uh, Telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So, you know, as people... We always want to know. We're, we're curious people. You know, we, all want, we always want to have the inside track. We want the inside scoop. You know, and, and that's just how we are. That's how we're wired. But there's something more important. More important than knowledge is this, is this power, this empowerment by the Holy Spirit. You know, it's kind of like maybe a little mysterious to some people. But, you know, if you're struggling with this whole Holy Spirit thing, let me help you out here. The early church didn't know what they were looking for either. They were like, what? You know, <clears throat> Jesus said to wait for the Holy Spirit. And they were like, the Holy who? They're like, Holy Spirit, what's that? Who's that? And how will we know when he shows up? Or are the angels just going to like, you know, bust open the door and announce his, his arrival? And Jesus didn't give them all the details. But he needed their obedience and their trust to go and wait for that promise. He said, I will send. Knowledge or understanding, we got to get this. Knowledge or understanding are not prerequisites to receiving the Holy Spirit. But how can that be? How can that be? Do you understand everything, everything about the way your car works? Or do you just hop in and drive it? 
Do you, do you understand every little valve and piston and cylinder and, you know, um, every part of the torque converter and the, the differential and all the stuff that goes into making that go? I'm not talking about a classic Mustang, Mitch. I'm talking about something new with VVT and CVT and all the VTs and all the stuff that goes to a modern. I mean, it's complicated. Now, maybe there's some people that are like, oh, yeah, I know all that stuff. I don't know. But we just we trust we get in and we drive it, right? How about your phone, your smartphone? Do you pick it up? And do you know every line of code, how everything works? Do you know, like, all that, like, every little, or do you just like, hey, I want to, you know, do something on an app, or I want to make a call, or I want to do whatever. We just trust. We just do it, right? We don't have to understand it all completely, but we can't help it. We want to know. We like to think of ourselves as intellectuals. We, we put so much emphasis on knowledge. But sometimes you just have to experience something, right? Like, like I, I could try to explain, I could try to, to describe skydiving to you. And, you know, but honestly, until you yourself strap on a chute, go up in a plane, stand on an open door, jump out and feel the wind rushing and all the stuff and then the shoot and deploy and all this stuff till you experience that for yourself there's no way i can really really get you to understand skydiving right one of these days i'm gonna do that i haven't done it yet but and if you don't believe that experience is just as important as knowledge then who would you want as your pilot the guy who's read every book there is about flying a plane or the guy who's logged a thousand hours of flight time I mean, who do you want flying you around, right? You know? And I don't believe it has to be either or, honestly. I think it's a both and thing. I think we, there's a place for knowledge and understanding. But there's an experience that just cannot compare to just a book knowledge or a head knowledge. There's just something deeper. There's something more, right? That's the key word is more. You know, in Matthew, excuse me, Matthew chapter three, verse 11, uh, John the Baptist said, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy to even be his slave or carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. When John said this, the people didn't understand what he meant. Up until this point, the Holy Spirit had only visited. You know, in the Old Testament, it was like uh, a momentary thing for a specific purpose. Like, you know, Gideon and Samson and David killing Goliath. Things that needed a extra human ability. Something that was just uh, above and beyond that, that God said, Okay, I'm going to place something upon you for a moment. And that's, that's how it was in the Old Testament. And then Jesus came on the scene. And there's this transition we talked about. And then there's this New Testament time frame of the Pentecost and the, and the time after that where he came to stay. The Holy Spirit came to stay instead of just this momentary thing. And so, you know, in the Old Testament, it was God for us. You know, God was for his people. He was for Israel. He said it all the time throughout the Old Testament. And then in, when Jesus came on the scene, it was God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. But then... It was God in us. The Holy Spirit came on the scene and it was God in us. And it's a whole different ballgame at that point. So now he was coming to live within, abiding. 
this, this, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us at salvation to develop our character. Oh, develop character. Man, that's a, we like, phew, you had to go there. But the Spirit comes upon us in baptism to equip us for service. And if you don't realize it, you were built for service. Service for the kingdom of God. Service for his dream, making his dream come true. Right? So the Holy Spirit has a twofold ministry in our lives. Character and service. Character as in who I am. And service as in what I do. Right? Excuse me. So the baptism that Jesus was speaking about is something more than this deposit that we talked about. He was talking about level up. He was talking about more power, more love, more self-discipline, more of the things that we need in our life to live a godly Christian life. Basically, he makes us more like Christ. That's his whole purpose. One of his whole, you know, one of his main purposes anyway, to make us more like Christ. The Holy Spirit affects how we think, what we say, what we do. The Holy Spirit affects every part of our life. And some of the things, I'm going to give you some some quick bullet points here of some of the things that the Holy Spirit does for us and in us. Uh, He guides us into truth. If you read in John chapter 14 and John 16, uh, you'll see that he's even called the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth. And it says that he will guide you into all truth. I mean, life is complicated, right? Life can be complicated. And the Holy Spirit brings clarity. The Holy Spirit brings direction. He gives us purpose. And he removes confusion because God is not a God of confusion. And he wants us to live with purpose and clarity. And and the Holy Spirit is the agent of that. He brings that into our lives. Also, He restores hope in Romans 15, verse 13. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who brings us hope. Man, we can be in some crazy situations in life. We can be in some things that do not make sense. And yet the Holy Spirit can bring us hope in the middle of that crazy situation that we're going through. Some crazy times that we walk through. The Holy Spirit gives us that peace. Peace that's like people around us are like, how in the world do you have that peace? How are you walking around with joy, with a smile on your face? Why do you have hope right now? And it's the Holy Spirit who does that and gives us that and makes that evident to the world around us. Another one he does. The Holy Spirit illuminates scripture. He illuminates scripture. I mean, he is the author of, of scripture, by the way. I mean, after all, right? Uh, Pastor talked about it uh, earlier. Um, all scripture is God breathed. Second Timothy, it says it in chapter three, I think 16 or 17. It, it, it says all scripture is God breathed. The Holy Spirit was that breath that spoke the scripture to men who wrote it down matter of fact the hebrew word for spirit and breath is the same word ruach it's the same word and it's like god breathes scripture is god breathed and so the holy spirit is the perfect one to be the one to illuminate the word to us and illuminate scripture to us 
And so he does that, you know, and it may be something you need to hear for the moment. You might be reading in Isaiah 40 and realize God, the Holy Spirit's telling you, you need to wait. You need to wait. You might be ready to jump out there and he's saying, wait on God, wait on me. Or maybe you're reading in Matthew 6 and the Holy Spirit's saying, you kind of need to forgive. There's somebody right there that you haven't forgiven and you really need to forgive. And you're like, oh, man, you're right. But he illuminates that scripture. You may have read these scriptures numerous times before, but at that moment, the Holy Spirit brings such a, just an illumination to it, a revelation to it. Or maybe sometimes even something way more specific. I've got a little story here that I'll tell you about this. And, you know, years ago we were, um, we were volunteering as just youth leaders under um, a few different youth pastors for a period of years at a local church. And, you know, we were feeling the call to full-time youth ministry ourselves. And um, we were just trying to pray about it and seek, seek God on, on what his will was at the time. And some friends of ours went to this church up in North Louisiana, about as far, it was on the border, basically as far as you get it without getting out of Louisiana. It was like, you know, way up on the, on the border of Arkansas. And um, they came back and they told us, hey, there's this church. They're looking for a youth pastor. It's a small church. We dug into it some more. And basically, it's, it's just a small, declining church, honestly. Uh, just a bunch of older people that were just kind of, it was just kind of like dwindling. And we were like, mm, I'm not so sure about that. You know, thanks for telling us about it, but we'll, we'll pray about it. You know, that, how you say that sometimes. No intention of, you know, whatever. But, um, and a little backstory is that during this time frame, you know, for three plus years, we had been struggling a little bit because the youth pastor we were working under at the time had really just, uh, he wasn't appreciating our uh, he, he just didn't value us or our input or anything. He uh, he was actually kind of rude. And there was just some some things there that was a bad situation for a while. And we were just struggling. And um, and 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 so these people told us about this church and it was in this little town called Sarepta. I'm like, I've never even heard of this little town called Sarepta. You know, who, what is this? And so anyway, we're like, OK, we'll pray about it, whatever. So praying, whatever. I break open the Bible. I just happen to grab a copy of the message, trans paraphrase, translation, whatever. And I'm, I'm reading in the message Bible and it just happened to break, happened to break open to Luke chapter four. And there's this verse there where Jesus is saying, you know, a prophet is, is, is not welcome in his hometown. There, there are plenty of widows in Israel during the three and a half years of famine Whenever uh, God called Elijah to this widow in and, you know, normally in a normal translation, it would say Zarephath. But in the message translation, it says Sarepta. (laughs) Okay, God, you're speaking clearly. So we decide to actually pray about it, not pray about it, actually pray about it. And the next thing you know, we were driving up there. And the next thing you know, the Holy Spirit was speaking to us saying, this is your new home. And we moved and became the youth pastors there at this church. And God did amazing things for the next few years there. And it just, it was a very specific enlightenment of the word that the Holy Spirit, only the Holy Spirit could have done that. Only the Holy Spirit could have done that. And that time we were going through, 
was rough. And that message, that scripture spoke to that moment in our lives about not being welcome where we were and that, that famine and that drought that we felt we were in spiritually and just in, in ministry and stuff. And just, I don't know, it was just, it's a crazy thing, but God has a way, Holy Spirit has a way of doing stuff like that. So he illuminates scripture. Another thing he does, he gives us boldness. He gives us boldness. Uh, and boldness, you would, I, I would define that as a fearless confidence. A fearless confidence. Um, you know, I think the biggest, the easiest example, I guess, would be Peter. Before versus after the day of Pentecost. Before Peter's running his mouth, doing all this crazy stuff. He's a hothead. Running his mouth all the time. And then, right before Jesus' death, he, uh, thank you. Excuse me. So. (laughs) So right before we all know about Peter's dilemma where he denied Christ. He wasn't even bold enough to stand up to a young servant girl who said, hey, you're one of them. But then after. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. He speaks with boldness to thousands. And says, no, no, this is what was prophesied. This is that more. This is the Holy Spirit. These people aren't drunk. This is the Holy Spirit moving for your benefit. And the Holy Spirit did an amazing thing and used Peter And gave him boldness and courage during that time. And he spoke boldly. And thousands of people turned to Jesus that day. What was the difference? What was the difference maker? The Holy Spirit. He gives us boldness. There's another benefit that the Holy Spirit brings us. If we turn to Acts chapter 2. Yes, we're going there. Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. And suddenly... There was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm. And it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and set on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages. As the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. What does speaking in tongues mean and how does it benefit me? This is probably one of the biggest Dividing factors about the Holy Spirit today or actually throughout history. But we believe the way the Bible speaks that there is a outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it actually has an evidence of speaking another language. And it is a benefit to believers. Holy Spirit prayer encourages the believer. You get built up in your faith. And then it's also assigned to unbelievers, just like on the day of Pentecost, when all these people heard the gospel message in their own language because the people that were there and the Holy Spirit had come upon them and they were speaking in other languages they did not know. And sometimes it might be a known language, just like it happened for them, to where they could hear the gospel in their own language. Other times it might be a totally, completely unknown language. But it is a language And it is a sign to unbelievers that there is something more. There is something to this. It's a heavenly prayer language that we speak and God understands. 
We speak and God understands. It's the spirit of God in us speaking directly to the heart of the father in heaven. It's like an encrypted message. Um, I don't know if you have this on your phone. I just noticed the other day I a newer updated my phone a while back and I noticed texting somebody that had a similar phone. Well, I'll just go ahead and say it. That had a, a you know, a superior phone like me and Android. Anyway, in the text, it said end to end encrypted message. I don't, yours might do that. I don't know. I'm just joking about the superior thing. I, I pick about that all the time, but whatever. Um, it's just what I do. I know y'all hate me now. Everybody was like, I used to like him, but man. So this encrypted message is secure. It can't be hacked or intercepted by the devil from us to God directly. You know, the devil likes to mess with our minds when we're trying to think. He gets in there, gets in our thoughts and messes with us and stuff. This bypasses that area where he can mess with us. This language directly from us to the heart of the father gives us an encrypted message, an encrypted language. You know, in World War II, there was... um, in, 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 in the beginning there, for the first part of World War II, the Japanese kept intercepting every message that the U.S. troops would send. And even in code, every code they would break. And they kept in, intercepting all these messages. And, uh, and, you know, troops would try to move. And the enemy would know they're there before they got there. Whether they were trying to advance or whether they were trying to, uh, to, to call in art, art, uh, artillery fire. The enemy would be moved before the artillery fire got there. Um, Before they got there to infantry troops were able to attack. The enemy would realize that it was like, what's going on here? And they realized, you know, the enemy. So there came a turning point in 1942, whenever this man, Philip Johnston, who was a son of missionaries, and he grew up on the Navajo nation. And he came up with this idea, this crazy idea. Let's take the Navajo language and turn it into a code. And so they codified this language with words and letters and stuff to mean different, to be able to spell out different words and to be able to, to say different military terms and all this stuff. And they used Navajo words. Now, this language at the time was completely oral. No written version of it. Uh, it was only orally passed down tradition from parents to kids. And it was very complicated, very unique, very complex. Every little inflection and everything was a different word. And so it was, I mean, it's been said that even these missionaries and people and like, like Philip Johnson, who grew up, still didn't have a command of the language enough for it to be close enough to be able to really get his words perfect and get them right to distinguish between some of the words because it was so complicated. But these Navajo Indians who learned to speak English and then became uh, they, they, they signed up for uh, they became Marines and and they became the Navajo code talkers and they began to transfer code coded messages. And it was quick. It was immediate. It was real time because before some of the codes they were trying to use had a lag to it, even sometimes as much as hours for the code and the decode and everything. But this was an encrypted message 
It was the enemy could not hack it. Matter of fact, they never hacked it until it was declassified in the 60s. I think it was never hacked. And and so um, the code was is never broken. Well, God gives us this language that the enemy cannot intercept. You know, also another benefit is he helps me when I don't know what to pray. The Holy Spirit helps me when I don't know what to pray. Romans chapter 8 verse 26 says also the spirit helps us with our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we should, but the spirit himself speaks to God for us. Even begs God for us with deep feelings that words cannot explain. You know, sometimes you just get to that point where words just won't come. They just won't cut it. And you're just so, you know, God, I need you. But you really don't know how to pray, what to pray, what you should. The Holy Spirit steps in in that moment and he prays for us. In this, in this language that, that God gives us, he prays for us. And it is a perfect will of God that is prayed. You know, the closer I walk with the Holy Spirit, the more I realize how much I need him in my life. And thinking about all these benefits... Why would I want, why would I ever want to not, you know, walk with him in my life, right? People say, you don't need the Holy Spirit to go to heaven. I'm like, bro, I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart, you know? <laughs> it's just, and we need him in our life every day, right? I mean, come on, life, is, like I said, life can be tough sometimes. The Holy Spirit brings us that hope, brings us that confidence, brings us that boldness, gives us that peace, Every time we pray, it's an acknowledgement on our part that we want him in our life. Every time we pray in the spirit, every time we invite the Holy Spirit to move in our life, to work in us. It's an acknowledgement. Hey, I need you. I want you in my life. And he loves that. He loves that. Um, If the worship team would come on up, I'm going to start closing out here. But Acts chapter 19. There's this scripture I came across when I was studying. I'm like, man, if this doesn't just um, talk about where, you know, where we're going with this. But Acts chapter 19, verse one through six, I was reading again in the message Bible and I came across this. Excuse me. A little bit of build the excitement here. Says this. Now it happened that while Apollos was away in Corinth, Paul made his way down through the mountains, came to Ephesus, and happened on some disciples there. The first thing he said was, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Did you take God into your mind only, or did you embrace him with your heart? Did he get inside you? We've never even heard of that. A Holy Spirit? A God within us? How were you baptized then, asked Paul, in John's baptism? Well, that explains it, said Paul. John preached the baptism of radical life change so that people would be ready to receive the one coming after him who turned out to be Jesus. If you've been baptized in John's baptism, you're ready now for the real thing, for Jesus. And they were. As soon as they heard of it, they were baptized in the name of the master, Jesus. Paul put his hands on their heads and the Holy Spirit entered them. 
from that moment on, they were praising God in tongues and talking about God's actions. They were prophesying. They were speaking of the greatness and the goodness of God in other languages and just praising God. And it was God in us. More, more, not just, not just a little bit. The Holy Spirit is our unlimited source of power to live this life that we are called to live for God. Unlimited. We are limited. We are severely limited. We are human. We run out. We run out of patience. We run out of peace. We run out of energy. We run out of money. We run out of everything. And we have to be filled up. And there's choices that we make of where we go to be filled. What are we going to put in us? What are we going to fill ourselves with, right? The Holy Spirit is our unlimited source of power to live the life we're called by God to live. Sometimes we run out of the ability to live that life that God's called us to live. Honestly, you know, we have days. We go through stuff. But the Holy Spirit succeeds where we fall short. The Holy Spirit encourages us when we have nothing left. He helps us in every area of our life. He's unlimited. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 16. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources. He will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Unlimited resources. Through his spirit. We don't get it any other way. We don't have it in ourselves. We can't muster that up. We can't try harder, be better. It's the Holy Spirit that does it in us. Right? We're not always going to feel 100% full of the Holy Spirit every single day. It just doesn't work that way, right? Sometimes, because we don't need. We don't need the same level for what we're facing today that we faced yesterday. Sometimes it's because we don't heed. Sometimes we don't need. Sometimes we don't heed. We get distracted. We don't pay attention to God's voice speaking to us, calling us, beckoning us, drawing us. You know, I spend a lot of time out in nature. I like to hike and bike and do a lot of things. And a lot of times I see people, they get the earbuds in and they're going about whatever. And they just, you know, they're distracted with the music. Matter of fact, sometimes I'm on my bicycle and I'm coming up on people that are hiking or running or whatever. And they got music in and I'm just like trying to like, hey, I'm coming around you. Hey, you know, or whatever. And then I, I try to sneak around them. And they're like, you know, freaking out. I'm like, I tried to warn you, but you were distracted, you know. You weren't paying attention, you know, or I see even kids out in nature when they do make it out there. A lot of them still have their face in a tablet and you're just like, oh, you're missing out. 
Look at this. Look at all this, you know. Listen to the bird. Look, look at this nature. Look at these, this scenery. Look at that snake you're about to step on. <laughs> and even honestly, if I have to admit it, sometimes I miss it too because I'm on my bike sometimes just wanting to cruise through the trails and go fast and do this, you know, like, oh, it's fun and a lot of, it's, it's energetic. It's, it's, but man, sometimes we just need to slow down. Sometimes we just need to pay attention, slow down, be aware. You know, that song been resonating in my spirit this week. Let us become more aware of your presence. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. And that needs to be our prayer as individuals and as a body, as this church, as Life United. I pray that we are so just... Uh, intentional about inviting the Holy Spirit in everything we do every Sunday you know there's signs around here if you catch them that says 52 it was about that started because it was a, a, a just a sign to like hey be intentional this is one of 52 weeks that we will be in this room and people's hearts will be maybe open to what God's wanting to say it's about being intentional being aware so the question today I guess is have you been feeling empty maybe? Have you been need, needing something more? God's got it. The Holy Spirit has it for you. He has it here in this place. And today I want you to ask God, if that's you, ask him to fill you up and empower you with inner strength through his spirit. That's our prayer today. As a matter of fact, if you stand, I'd like to pray for you this morning.